The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, this is a crazy, crazy world that we are living in. Uh, The present circumstance has left uh, many people wondering, what the heck is happening in the world? I mean, I don't know if you've heard this, but perhaps you saw the news that that right now in Africa, there are plagues of locusts that are flying over the northern part of Africa and, and down into uh, uh, the region that has more vegetation and where a lot of the food is produced in Africa. And as a result of that, um, there, there's a coming food crisis that might be breaking out in Africa as a consequence. Matter of fact, I, was, I got a news alert last night. I get news alerts uh, regarding Uganda because I want to keep track of what's happening there. And, uh, and Uganda, where, where our brothers and sisters at Oasis of Hope, uh, has on the eastern border of U- Uganda near Kenya, they have locusts coming across the border, and there's just nothing that they can do to stop it, on top of being quarantined uh, during the COVID crisis. Uh, n- perhaps you saw that, uh, that Yellowstone the, the giant caldera is acting up, that there was a, an earthquake in Idaho near, near there, and, and that the ground level has risen like six inches in, uh, in the caldera. And so people are like, oh, what's going on there? And then we've had, you know, an earthquake down in Palm Springs recently. And uh, I mean, the, the, the craziness is just going on all around us. And I think for, for the first time in a long time, everybody is kind of like going, whoa, Life here is very fragile. Life here is uh, a less permanent than what we thought it was. I, I, this has even affected the Pope. I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, but uh, the Pope has even been troubled lately. He hasn't been in, in public uh, due to fears over his health. He hasn't given a papal address because he doesn't want people to gather at, at the Vatican. And uh, it was reported that, was, that there was some concern over his well-being uh, because as he was sequestered away at the Vatican, um, he's devoted himself to prayer and to uh, the study of, of scriptures and, uh, and, and looking at the texts of scripture. And one of the cardinals there uh, reported that he had been assigned to help the Pope as he translated scripture from Latin. And then the the Pope noticed, however, that he was working from copies of copies of the Latin text. And so he excused himself, went into the papal library, and and went to get some of the Latin texts, the originals, so that he could work directly from those texts. But when he didn't return, the cardinal went looking for him. And uh, he, he found him in the library in great distress. Uh, he was on the floor, uh, and he, he was clutching one of the texts of scriptures, and he, he just kept repeating over and over again, we, we've missed the R, we missed the R. And, and the cardinal was, was taken back, like, what is going on? And, and the pope, the only thing that he could say is, the, the word, it, it's celebrate celebrate, not celibate, celibate. (laughs) Even the Pope is in distress in this time. (laughs) You can't see it, but the guys, they think I'm funny. It's helpful. Hey, uh, listen, 
The context of a story matters immensely. Context determines meaning. It's the difference between celibate and celebrate. (laughs) The context matters. And sometimes we forget that the message about the resurrection of Jesus comes to us out of a particular context. And in order to interpret or understand the events that happened in history, we need to also understand the context. So I want to read to you the story of the resurrection, but I want you to feel how it changes as we add some context to it. So here is the setting. Jesus has has died. He's been buried. He has been placed in a grave. A stone has been rolled over the front of that grave. It was borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea. And on the first day of the week, verse 1 of chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke says, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, because they were going to anoint his body. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day to rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose up and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Skip down with me to verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. What things were they talking about? Two other men had come with a report that they had actually seen Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they met with the eleven in the, uh, in the room uh, where they were staying. And as a result of that, they were, they were discussing those things, and while they're discussing it, Jesus shows up there too. And he says to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. They thought that that he was a ghost. And so he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Notice that they're in their rational minds. They're trying to understand. They're trying to, like, like, what is this? Are, are, are Are we seeing a ghost right now? Is this the spirit of Jesus? What is happening? And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? He said, see my hands and my feet? That it is I myself. Touch me. For a spirit does not have flesh and and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? 
And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before that. Now think about this. Here's the disciples. They're in this room and, and Jesus shows up. They think he's a ghost. He's like, no, look, 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 look. You can touch my hands. Go ahead. You can touch my feet. Go ahead. Look at, put your hand right here in my side where, where the wound was. You, do you have any food here? I'm not a ghost here. I'm a real person. You got any food? I'm hungry. And they had eaten with Jesus many, many times. He takes the broiled fish and he begins to eat it. And he took it and ate, ate it before them. Verse 44, and he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ, that is the Greek word for Messiah or the anointed one, should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you, disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, talking about the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Here is this dramatic moment. But to understand the gravity of this moment, to understand why it was so earth-shattering, why it was so life-changing for the apostles, we have to understand the context in which it happened. Because context determines meaning. Meaning. So, part of our exercise today then is to try and determine what the resurrection meant to the apostles. How did they understand it? What did it mean for them? And, and, and then secondarily to ask, what does it mean for us? It, it meant something to them, but does it, is it applicable to us today? Does it matter to us today? So in order to get the context, I think we have to look at the, the records that we have of the life of Jesus. There are four gospels, and these are all accounts of the, the birth Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus, written by four different authors. Now, they, they really preach one message. They talk about the life of Jesus, and each one introduces Jesus' ministry at the announcement of, uh, at the amount, at an announcement of John the Baptist when John the Baptist was baptizing. Now, some of the gospel accounts talk about his birth, but... All of them include the announcement of John the Baptist that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So starting from that point forward, we can, we can just kind of start tracking through the life of Jesus to think what did the, the apostles think about who Jesus was? And what did his death mean to them? And consequently, what did his resurrection mean to them? The disciples provide for us eyewitness accounts of the events surrounding Jesus' life, surrounding his death, surrounding his resurrection. And in their first encounters with Jesus, we're told two important facts. Jesus was, first of all, preaching about the kingdom of God. And second of all, the disciples were invited to follow him in that. 
Now, based on other historical accounts from the time, we know that this invitation to follow Jesus was, a, was an invitation to become an understudy of Jesus as a rabbi or as a teacher in Israel. Uh, it, it was an opportunity for them to, to take his yoke or his mantle upon them and learn from him. Uh, this was a Hebrew idiom, the idea of a yoke or a mantle was a Hebrew idiom to talk about the, the particular brand or style of teaching or interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. And the invitation to follow was to learn from that rabbi his particular teaching and then to follow in his footsteps and do the things that the rabbi had done. And they were invited to follow Jesus in that. Now, this was a great honor in that culture. And the, the disciples grew up in a culture where uh, the ruling powers of the Roman government had dealt a heavy hand to Israel. They were, they were suffering presently in that time and, and going through great difficulty as, as uh, this pagan culture, the, the Roman culture, did not value the things of Israel and definitely had no value for their God. Uh, and so as a result of that, in the culture in which they grew up, they were all expecting the kingdom of God. They were hopeful because the Old Testament had declared to them that there was coming a king who would, who would break them free from their oppression to foreign powers. That there was coming a king who would establish a kingdom whose rule would be without end. And as a result of that, they grew up hearing stories about this messianic kingdom and, and people hoping whenever they saw the latest wave of Roman oppression coming across uh, their area, they, they, they would immediately just be hoping, oh, let your Messiah come. Let him come. Let him establish his kingdom. Get rid of the Romans. And the disciples grew up with an expectation that there would be a king who, like Moses, during the day of Passover, during the, the season of plagues in Egypt, would deliver them from the heavy hand of their oppressors. They also were hoping that he would be a king like David, that he would be valiant, that he would fight for his people, that he would, that he would deliver them in the same way that David delivered the, the children of Israel. These disciples grew up hearing these stories that God had promised a messianic kingdom and a messianic kingdom and a golden age. The prophets had painted such beautiful pictures for them that that you can't even uh, you can't even really describe how amazing it must have sounded to them, especially in that that sort of third world setting. All we have to do is walk through the prophet Isaiah and some of the things that he said. So let me, let me take a couple of scriptures to, to, to look at so that we can understand what it is that they thought about this kingdom. They imagined a time, a kingdom, and a king in which, according to Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, where, where Isaiah the prophet says, in that time, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, and you who dwell in the dust shall awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. They believed that the dead would be raised in that time, according to Isaiah the prophet. Another one from Isaiah. In the time in the messianic age, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf 
deaf, unstopped, and the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so they, they believed not only that the dead would be raised, but that the eyes of the blind would be opened, that the ears of the deaf would be opened, that the lame would be healed, that the mute would begin to speak. In Isaiah 55, verse 1, in the Messianic age, there's an invitation that goes out in this song written by Isaiah where he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. They believed that the Messiah would make the land so abundant, that the land would prosper so much that there wouldn't even be a need to buy wine or milk or, 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 or any of those things that were staple products that they needed, that there would be an abundance because of the presence of the Messiah. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, a messianic prophecy as well. There we're told that the Messiah, that the Spirit of the Lord God would be upon him because the Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the poor. And, and, and in this place of oppression, there were many poor in Israel. And, and, and they knew that in the Messianic age, the king that would come would care for the poor, that he would, that he would delight in the poor, that he would preach the good news to them, that as a result of that, their burden would be lifted as a consequence. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he comes, the Bible tells us, immediately after his baptism, the baptism of John, he comes immediately preaching the kingdom of God. He's talking about that messianic age. And now the disciples hear the teaching of Jesus and they're invited to follow him. The teaching itself maybe would have fit in in the culture that he was in. Lots of people were hoping for a Messiah. Lots of people believed that they were the Messiah and tried to deliver Israel by their own force and by their own hand. But what they didn't expect is what followed. Because as they left their fishing businesses, as they left their position as tax collectors, as they, as they left their, their family businesses and followed Jesus, amazing things began to happen. Stuff that they would not have anticipated. All of those prophecies that, that were there about the Messianic age, they started happening. And as they followed Jesus, they, they found that, that the prophecies, be, they came true. Jesus appointed 12 of them to be apostles. And, 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 and it's like in that moment, Jesus is saying, hey, we're starting this kingdom now. Just like the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 founders of this nation, there's this new kingdom that is starting right now. And I'm starting with you 12 guys right here, right now. And it became so much more surreal as they saw the prophecies fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 61.1 by preaching continuously to the poor, by opening the eyes of the blind, by, by uh, setting those who were held captive by spiritual forces free. 
They were free of their oppression. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 55, 1. Remember, their very first miracle that he did was to cause wine to be supplied for a, a, a wedding party without price, without cost to the wedding party. Remember how he, how he cared for the multitudes by multiplying the bread. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 40, verses 10 through 11, when he looked out on, on the people on the multitudes as sheep not having a shepherd, and he, and he provided all of their needs in that moment. Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 26, 19, by raising from the dead the widow's son from Nain, Jairus' daughter, his friend Lazarus, raising them up from the dead. But then Jesus did even, even more than they expected from a messianic king, and, and for this messianic kingdom. He he did more than what was commonly understood. Matter of fact, he displayed such incredible power. It was like Jesus was otherworldly. He had power over nature. He, he, could, he could calm storms with a word. The, the sea would be raging and he would say, peace, be still. And the, and the whole universe responds in silence. He had power to walk on water. He could make fig trees die with a single word, with a single command. He had power over the spiritual world. Demons would fall down trembling in his presence. They would fall down trembling, saying, oh, oh, son of man, have you come now to cast us into the pit? Is that what's going on? The demons trembled at his presence. What they began to discover was that Jesus was no ordinary rabbi. Jesus was not just an, an, a normal teacher. He was something, he was something much different. As time progressed with Jesus and his disciples, we, we come to a story in Matthew chapter 16 where the disciples are gathered and Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And so the disciples, they answer, they, they say, hey, you know, um, some people think that you're Elijah. Uh, some people think that you're, you're, you know, Moses or Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. Now, all of that was, was understandable. Remember, they lived in a time where there was no internet. You couldn't just like look up an image of what did Jesus actually look like. They had no idea uh, what he actually looked like in the face. And so they're, they're guessing, they're like, well, who is this guy and what kind of manifestation is he bringing? We hear all these amazing stories about who he is and what he's telling people and what he's preaching. I mean, he's kind of like Elijah. He's kind of like Moses. He's kind of like Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. It was all understandable, but then Jesus makes it very personal for them. He says, you guys have, you guys have been with me. You've seen me. You know what's, what's been happening around me. You have been there in these amazing moments. Now, who do you say that I am? <laughs> with boldness. You gotta love Peter. Peter is a guy whose breath smelled like shoe leather. <laughs> and Peter stands up and he says, you are the Messiah. 
You're the son of the living God. <laughs> In Matthew 16, 16, Peter makes this pro- proclamation, and this is the first time in the Gospels where we see a definite proclamation that Jesus is the king that God had promised. And Jesus doesn't deny it. He says, oh, Peter, Peter, listen, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father who is in heaven, the one who sent me, he's the one who revealed this to you. Peter, you got it right. He owned it. Jesus owned every bit of it. And I bet you could have heard a pin drop among the disciples as they were thinking about the implications of that. If Jesus really is the Messiah, then what does that mean about what we're caught up in? We're the 12. Is he starting a new kingdom? Are we a part of it? Will we be in power? Will we have control? When he gets there, they begin making plans of palaces in the future and power and control and everything else. And they they even start fighting amongst themselves as a consequence of that. And then things take a sudden dark turn. You see, from that point forward, Jesus begins telling his disciples, I'm going to die. He began to prepare his disciples for his death. He kept referencing it over and over, finally to the point where where Peter in chapter 16, verse 22, comes to Jesus and says, this can't happen. Not to you, Lord. This won't ever be. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, get behind me. You're, You're saying the things that the tempter would say to me. This has to happen. One chapter later from chapter 16, where where Jesus is proclaimed as the messianic king, where the reality of the kingdom is, is fully coming into focus for the apostles, it gets even crazier. Because Jesus invites them to go up into a mountain with them and, and, and to spend some time in prayer. And, and, and three of the, the apostles are carried with him uh, to this place of prayer. And while Jesus is praying, he is transformed in front of them. He, he, just, he ends up going radioactive. He starts glowing. And, and, and the, the, the apostles are there. They, they, they start trying to describe it. It's, it's crazy, the descriptions. They're like, it, it was white. It was so white. It was like, it was like brighter than any other thing I'd ever... It was brighter than... Like if you had a white shirt that was washed really, really good. <laughs> it was so white. It was very, very white. And in the middle of seeing Jesus glowing, going radioactive on a mountaintop, no doubt their minds are thinking about Moses and how his face would glow in the presence of God the Father. But Moses' glow was more of like a suntan. It was like something that, that radiated onto him and reflected out from him as a consequence. And his glow faded away. But Jesus' glow seemed to be coming from the inside out. And Moses shows up and Elijah shows up. And the Bible tells us that they began to talk to Jesus about his departure, about his death. 
The disciples don't know what to do. I mean, what Moses and Elijah are saying is consistent with what Jesus has said, but they still have visions of a kingdom that God has established. There's still prophecies to be fulfilled. The lion is supposed to lay down with the lamb. The, 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 The weapons are supposed to be beat into farm implements. What is going on? There's more to do. Peter, once again, sticking his foot in his mouth, begins to speak, and he he says, hey, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> hey, why don't we set up a tent? We'll get a tent for you. We'll get a tent for Moses. We'll get a tent for Elijah. It'll be, it'll be amazing. And God the Father comes down in the glory cloud, in the kabod, and he, he, he comes down with just a special message just for Peter. He says, Peter, shut up. <laughs> you, you just listen to my son. He's the beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. You hear him. You listen to him. When they come down from the mountain again, Jesus confirms to them. He says, hey, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinners. I'm going to be killed. And in Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 to 23, Jesus says to them plainly, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and they will kill him, and he'll be raised again the third day. And the disciples were greatly distressed. They couldn't make sense of this. Like, what kind of king are you? Are you the king that we, pro- that we, we have been promised? Because we left everything to follow you. What is this? Finally, things came to a head. During the time of Passover, at the, on the night when the lambs were being slain for the sacrifices, in celebration of Passover, you see on that day, 1,500 years previous to that, there was a moment where the children of Israel were locked up in their homes because the judgment of God was about to be poured out upon a nation. And it was only the blood of a lamb that could save them, could spare them of that disaster. Each household was shuttered because the angel of death was coming over the, every household of the land. And the people of God were told that no matter what they heard through the night, that if they had the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost of their house, they would escape the wrath of God in judgment against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And now, 1,500 years forward, on the night of Passover, when the lambs were to be slain, the lamb of God is in a garden beginning to bleed, sweating drops of blood. Guards from the chief priests came and they arrested Jesus. They, they put him on trial. They, they beat him. They brought him before Pontius Pilate. He was whipped and beaten. He was taken up, of, up a hill. He was there crucified, nailed to a cross. And there, he died. Now, for the disciples, for the apostles, this was not just the death of their friend. This was the death of everything that they had believed in. The kingdom that they had imagined was gone. 
the king that they thought Jesus was, was dead. Their friend, their hopes, their dreams were then taken down from a bloodied cross, were carried to a borrowed tomb, and a stone was rolled over the face of it. To lock those hopes, those dreams, their friend, away. And it's in that context that Sunday morning happens. You see, for the disciples, they were devastated. All that they had hoped in, all that they had dreamed of, was destroyed with the death of Jesus. Their friend, their livelihood, their hopes for the future, their dreams about restoration, their desire to see God's will done on earth in the same way that it is done in heaven. All of it disappeared with the death of Jesus and they sit there in disappointment that the kingdom that they had believed in was gone. Saddened that the kingdom and their friend was gone. Saddened that their plan for the future was gone and afraid of what might come next. But then, (laughs) but then, Sunday morning happened. The unexpected happened again. The first reports came in and the disciples ran to go see what it might be. And they were were still unbelieving. Like dead people can't raise themselves because they're dead. What happened? And they're, they're, they're trying to process. Then the report comes from the two men on the road to Emmaus who said, we actually saw Jesus. He walked with us. We were walking and he talked with us. And then Jesus shows up in the room. And again, they're still trying to process. They say, oh, maybe it's a ghost. And they're freaked out. And they think maybe it's a spirit. And he says, no, 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 you can touch me. I'm a body. I'm a real person. I'm Jesus. I'm your friend, Remember? When Jesus showed up in the room and ate food with them, when he showed up and allowed them to touch his wounds, and when he began to explain that this was God's plan all along, then all of a sudden the pixels began to coalesce and the picture became clear. All that had happened began to come into focus and it changed everything for them. What? What does it mean? What, did it, what does it mean? That, that, is, that is the cry of every heart. We, we think uh, of the present situation that we're all facing with this COVID-19 uh, crisis that, that, that's facing the world. Everybody is asking, like, what does this mean? What, what does this mean for the future? What is it, how does this affect life from here on out? What is coming? Is this a part of some global conspiracy involving Bill Gates and vaccinations? Or, or is, is this some major thing that is happening that's the precursor to the mark of the beast? Or is this, nobody knows. Everybody is expecting. Everybody is wondering what is happening because we are meaning seekers. And I just want to remind you of what it meant to the apostles in that day to see Jesus standing in their midst, to to be able to put their fingers in the holes in his hands, to be able to touch the hole in his side and to see him eat fish. What did it mean to them? Well, first of all, it meant what Jesus said in verse 46. He said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and die 
uh, suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The first thing that it meant, it meant that our sin, our offense against God is forgiven through what Jesus has done. And that repentance, the ability to change, the possibility of of living differently, of, of being a part of this kingdom has been granted through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It, and, and it means that the kingdom that they thought was temporary, they, the, the kingdom that they thought died and was buried in a grave, that that kingdom was now a reality. And that because Jesus couldn't die, that kingdom would last forever. It meant that the Passover lamb of God was slain. And that we were delivered from the judgment, from the wrath of God. It meant that the gates of hell had not prevailed and that the church would be established and that it couldn't be defeated, not by Roman oppression and not by persecution and not by any virus that is going throughout the world. The church would continue to survive and thrive because Jesus has been raised from the dead. It means that the father saw the suffering of his son and was satisfied according to Isaiah 53. It means that the the thing that kept us separated, the veil that kept us from God's presence was torn away and that we can now come into God's presence freely. There is nothing separating us from him or from his love. It means that the enemy is defeated. Remember, the enemy had launched this spiritual assault against Jesus to try and kill him, and he used his best tool, his best weapon. He used death to try and defeat Jesus. He he must have thought in the moment, oh, I've won, I've won, I killed the Son of God. But God raised Jesus from the dead and used death as his servant. (laughs) to demonstrate that he has power over the best that the enemy can throw at him. And as a result of that, it means that we also, who have put our faith in Jesus, will be raised from the dead. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says the resurrection that happened to Jesus is our ultimate destination, what's coming in the future, in the future restoration, when God brings his kingdom in fullness. That we will be raised from the dead. It means that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in us. And that we are not fighting the battle of life and for holiness alone. The risen Christ is in us. It means that all the promises of God are true. It means that when, when he says something, we can put trust in it we can we we can say that what he says must be true because he fulfilled all the promises that he gave from the old testament then how would he not fulfill these other promises it means that god has not destined us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep or whether we're alive or we're dead 
we might live with him. Listen, there's a lot of fear, a lot of fear out there this year. What's going to happen? What if I die? What, what? Listen, if you believe in Jesus, if you've put your trust in him, you don't have to fear what comes. You don't have to fear what comes. We, listen, whether it is COVID-19 or a heart attack when I'm 70, I'm headed to the same place. I'm going to die. That's the reality. But I don't have to fear when it happens, and I don't have to fear how it happens. You know why? Because I know what comes next. The resurrection of Jesus has guaranteed that to me. It means that no matter what happens with coronavirus or global disaster or earthquakes or persecution or cancer, all those that put their faith in Jesus will be made alive in him. It means, the resurrection means that he has gone to his father's house to prepare a place for us that is secure in the heavens that cannot be taken away. It is a treasure that is waiting for us that cannot rust, it cannot be destroyed, it cannot be set on fire. And for 2,000 years, year after year, Christians have gathered together to celebrate this event. They have done that in a variety of settings, sometimes in open-air fields, sometimes in schools that have been rented, sometimes in teaching halls or buildings that they built, or sometimes it was even in tombs and in catacombs. And today, we do it online. (laughs) We celebrate what Jesus has done in being raised from the dead. Easter after Easter, the gospel has been proclaimed and through the hearing of the message that Jesus is alive, countless billions of people have been radically changed by placing their trust in Jesus. The format this year has changed. But guys, the good news, that Jesus is alive from the dead, has not changed It has not changed. And the invitation to those who do not know Jesus, to those who have not been changed, those who have not been saved, has not changed either. Jesus said this. He said, All who come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. And right now, At this exact moment, I believe that through this medium right now, that the message of Jesus is calling out to those of you who are out there who have not been saved, who do not know Jesus. And I believe that the message that has saved people throughout the ages is present and able and capable of saving you now. All that you have to do is ask. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you are in your home right now on your bed with a phone sitting up over the top of your head or sitting on the couch with a laptop or casting to Apple TV or whatever it is that you're doing. Right here, right now, in the privacy of your own home, God who sees will hear your prayer. All you have to do is talk to him. All you have to do is speak. And you can call out to him from where you are right now. You can say to him, 
God, I see that my sin is an offense to you. Thank you that you sent your son to die in my place in order that I might be forgiven, that repentance would be granted to me. Thank you for that. God, I want to be changed. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to be my king, and I want to be a part of your kingdom. And if you will simply pray that prayer right now, in this moment, God is present to meet you. And he is present to save. If you're a person who's sitting there and you've, you've heard this message and you, and you want somebody to talk to and you need somebody to help sort this out with you, we are happy to do that. You can message us online on our Facebook page or you can send an email to uh, info at heritagefellowship.net. If you, if you send an email to us, we got people standing by waiting right now to hear from you. We want to pray for you. We want to make contact with you. We want to be an encouragement and a resource to you. So please reach out to us. But for those of you who already know Jesus, typically this Sunday would be a time where we would celebrate through baptism all those that have come to Christ and all those that have come to faith and, and been changed by the message of the gospel. We would do that by, by, by having baptisms. And by seeing them and, and hearing their stories and their confession of faith, that this year we're not going to be able to do that because we're all remote. But there is a, an amazing way for us to still continue to celebrate the story of how Jesus changes lives. So there's, there's really two ways that you can do that. If you go to our Facebook page, you will see that we, we're, we're posting stories from the people at Heritage who posted videos in the last week of, of how Jesus had changed their lives. And you can go through and you, just one at a time, just like we would do for baptisms. You could go through and you can look at the stories of how God has changed, how Jesus has changed the lives of people here in our church, people that you may have seen, people that you may know. And if you want to go beyond that, at the top of that, those, each of those posts, you'll see a hashtag there that says, hashtag Jesus changed my life. If you click on that hashtag, you will see people globally who are telling their stories of how Jesus changed. There are literally thousands and thousands of these stories posted online right now where you can go through and begin scrolling and, and just remembering all the ways that God continues to save through the gospel. The re remembering and rehearsing all the ways that God continues to change lives through his son. And I invite you with your family to do that today, to celebrate in a meaningful way the glory of the good news. So, we are here to celebrate with you today. It is our pleasure and privilege to bring in a time of worship at this moment. And we celebrate today because the resurrection has changed everything. It has absolutely changed everything. And there is tremendous joy in knowing that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your grace towards us. We're so grateful that, that you entered into our story in the same way that you entered into the stories of the disciples. 
And that you called us to follow you the same way that you, you called them to follow you, to learn about, about how you see the world, to learn about your kingdom, to come under your authority and to begin to live like you in the world. You called us to that. And God, it has radically changed our lives. For those who've experienced that change, Lord, the whole world looks different. God, thank you that you've removed fear and that because you've been raised from the dead, we don't have to fear what comes next with COVID-19 or cancer or anything else. Thank you, God, that our salvation is secure. Thank you, Lord, that we are guaranteed of your love. Thank you that we can come into your presence. Thank you that we have power from the Holy Spirit to live a life that pleases you. Thank you, God, that through the resurrected Jesus, all the promises that you have given us are yes and amen. God, thank you for saving and for changing and continuing to change us. Now meet your people as we close in worship, as we celebrate all that you have done today. Be glorified, God, on this wonderful day. We celebrate your son, and we celebrate your power. We celebrate your deliverance. In the name and for the glory of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful Easter. As we continue to worship, may God fill your homes with his presence this Easter Sunday. God bless you. Listen to the story About a love more faithful in the morning Father gave his only son Just to save us the earth is shaking in the dark All creation fell, the Father's broken heart Tears were filling heaven's eyes The day that you love died, the day that you love died When blood and water hit the ground Oh, we down Hell 
the Father's broken heart He leaves you filling heaven's eyes David, true love, died And David, true love, died When blood and water hit the ground The walls that couldn't move came crashing down Crown with glory 
Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at His feet we bow. The one who wore our sin and shame, now robed in majesty.
Thank you for what you're doing today. God, our prayer is that you would save souls. God, every one of us that has a story about how you've changed our life, God, you've drawn us in and you've won us over with your grace and love. We all can remember a time when we felt like you were pursuing our hearts. And the reality of who you are was so real, it was so strong, there was absolutely no denying it. And I pray that you do this morning. Lord, as we give you praise and we remember just the single greatest act in all of history, you going to the cross, being raised up from the grave. As Jeremy said, using death as your servant. God, we give you praise. Lord, thank you for allowing us again to gather even in this way. We love you so much, God. We rejoice that you're alive. We don't serve a God who's dead. We don't just believe in a, in a group of doctrines because we feel like they're logical or they make our lives a little bit better. No, God, forget all that. We serve a living Jesus, and that makes all the difference. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray this in your name. family and anybody else visiting from online. We appreciate you guys so much. And we do just pray a blessing over you and your families this Easter. We just know that the Lord is with you. Be comforted in His presence. We rejoice in His victory. heritage family for the sacred tradition I will just say this he is risen amen and God bless you guys we'll see you later